Hut, hut. Drew Pearson is a Hall of Famer, and now he is Met Drop Royalty. The original 88 joins us to talk about his whirlwind Hall of Fame weekend, which included an airborne standing ovation. You're not going to want to miss that story. He also talks about how he made sure his bust in Canton was sculpted with absolutely the largest Afro permissible, and how being a Dallas Cowboy helped him sharpen his business acumen. Then, Mark Stein, another Hall of Famer, basketball in his case, talks about Luca's Olympic run, Nico Harrison in the Mavericks offseason, and how what Jason Kidd learned coaching LeBron James and Anthony Davis while a Lakers assistant coach will help him with Luca and KP. Finally, John Radigan stops by to talk Texas Rangers prospects, Cowboys on Hard Knocks, and in our What Are You Downloading segment, how meeting John Grisham many years ago got him into reading. So let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to the Mic Drop, everyone. Kevin Sullivan here, joined by my co-host Monica Paul, the Executive Director of the Dallas Sports Commission, along with our next level intern, Marcus Carr, who's ailing, Olivia Petnicki, our other next level intern on the scene today. Thanks for listening and subscribing. Monica, this is episode number 26. That means we've been doing this for half a year, which is hard to believe. When I think of the number 26, I know who our guest Drew Pearson is going to think of. I think of a few, you know, number 26 is a number that does not bring to mind a lot of players from Dallas-Fort Worth. In fact, the Mavericks have only had one guy wear the number 26 in their history, and that was Ray Spaulding, who played one minute of one game in October of 2018. I think about the Rangers. No Ranger has worn number 26 since George Wright way back in 1986. Remember him, center fielder? Now you look at the Cowboys, and I'm really tempted to go with Preston Pearson, no relation to Drew, but another guy who did it the hard way a little bit, 12th round draft pick of the Colts, played basketball at the University of Illinois, had a phenomenal career in the NFL. Michael Downs wore 26 for the Cowboys. But this week we're going with stars, number 26, retired number 26, Jerry Lettinen, the native of Finland, played his entire 14-year career with the Stars, three-time winner of the Selkie Trophy as the NHL's top defensive forward, member of the 1999 Stars Stanley Cup championship team, scored a goal, the first goal in that clinching game six in Buffalo to, uh, in that Stanley Cup final and assisted on Brett Hall's overtime game winner in dramatic fashion. So episode number 26, we're thinking about Jerry Lettinen with a wink of the eye to Preston Pearson uh, a, a, as well. So half a year, Monica, we've had 75 different guests. Drew Pearson will be 76. Uh, many of them timely, like Drew coming on just days after his Hall of Fame induction. Who is on your wish list for upcoming guests here on the mic drop? Well, you know, Sully, this one was hard because um, we're in the, the DFW area and our list, or my list at least, can go on and on and on. But uh, just coming off the Olympics, I'd love to get some of our North Texas uh, Olympians here, Alicia Gray over with the Dallas Wings. Uh, they're a great partner of ours. Uh, obviously, when you talk uh, Cowboys, I, I'd love to see some Dak. I, I even think we, you know, let's dream big and see if we can get Mr. Jerry Jones on here. Uh, with WWE WrestleMania coming up, uh, you know, Stephanie McMahon, a lot of the superstars uh, that'll be 
here in market and uh, we've got some on sale dates and stuff that'll be announced so I think some great opportunity there uh, with everything going on on an NCAA landscape and uh, being home to many many conferences here in the Dallas area uh, I think uh, getting some of those commissioners and, and leaders uh, with <clears throat> within uh, the NCAA and those conferences uh, just to give us a kind of behind the scenes peek as much as they can knowing that it's rapidly changing is is important uh, and then we've got some other uh, events coming up so from a vex robotics standpoint up in the in the spring uh, and the impact that stem uh, has within our community and how important stem is for youth youth development and uh, even future jobs uh, i think there's a lot of great opportunity for companies here and to, to kind of get an idea of how they invest in sports how they see our landscape here how beneficial it is uh, to to be here in dallas uh, and then, obviously, for me, I'm, I'm waiting for this uh, FIFA announcement of Dallas being uh, named a um, World Cup city and uh, can't wait uh, to invite uh, some FIFA officials uh, to the mic drop uh, just to give their perspective on how this process uh, went from a bid standpoint, but then also what to expect in 2026. So my list can go on and on and on. Lots of people yeah. to, to choose from here. That's a good list. Uh, I'd like to get uh, SMU head football coach Sonny Dykes yeah. on. He's got he's got something nice uh, being built there on the hilltop. And let's give SMU football a mic drop uh, moment shout out here for creativity for placing an ad for SMU football in Times Square, 48th Street and 7th Avenue. Uh, Daniel Nunez, SMU's athletic director for marketing, assistant athletic director for marketing, told the morning news the idea was to promote the school's name, image, and likeness program. Uh, smart move there, along with its national award watch list honorees like tight end Grant Calcaterra, who's up for the Mackey Award, uh, and also highlight their new Dallas edition uh, jersey. So pretty cool deal there. Uh, Monica, we'll get to Luka Doncic's new contract, youngest player ever to sign a $200 million deal. Uh, I don't think Drew could have imagined a $200 million deal, uh, uh, but here it is, and there's, and there's a bunch of them. Uh, in the NBA. And of course, his near heroics, Lucas at the Tokyo Olympics. We'll talk about that with Mark Stein coming up. But first, congrats to Team USA for winning the medal count, both overall medals and gold medals in Tokyo. A mic drop high five to the many North Texas athletes who competed. And congratulations to those from Dallas-Fort Worth who won medals, including one, Monica, who's very close to your heart. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chiaka Obogu, uh, the USA women's volleyball team, snagged their first gold medal ever for, for the program. Uh, Chiaka happened to be an uh, intern for us for a short semester um, before she went back to University of Texas. So a fellow Longhorn, and uh, she's been with the national team. So, uh, yeah, that was a late night for me uh, last night of the Olympics, jumping up and down, screaming and crying at the same time. But, uh, um, you know, I uh, we're fortunate here, a lot of a lot of great Olympians. So uh, shout out to all of those uh, that were successful there in, in Tokyo. Very cool. What else uh, is happening? You mentioned a couple of things uh, earlier. What else is happening at the Dallas Sports Commission? Yeah, days? so, uh, you know, we've been going through this uh, FIFA World Cup bid, and uh, we should hopefully, uh, by the end of this week or early next week, uh, solidify what our site visit dates are. So when FIFA officials would actually be coming in into town, uh, what they need to see, uh, what type of negotiations we'll be getting into. So very excited to really move that process along. That's been a long uh, process of kind of starting back in 2017, I believe. 
Um, and then uh, we've also, over the last year and a half, kind of been working with U.S. Rugby, World Rugby, and, and their quest to put a bid in for uh, the Rugby World Cup for 2027 on the men's side and 2031, and then just recently 2029 on the women's side. So uh, we'll kind of have dual little parallel tracks here working that those uh, different bids so working with a lot of different um, uh, venues here uh, a lot of different venues qualify for that uh, we're doing a, a cool mascot shoot so uh, later on this week actually probably today and tomorrow uh, a, a lot of our professional teams here and really being able to utilize that and showcase uh, um, all of our professional teams as we go throughout the rest of the year um, followed up on some World Food Championships, which will be t uh, taking place in November. Uh, that'll be exciting, so we've had some planning sessions on that, and then just getting ready for our Super Classico on September 5th. The World Food Championships, that sounds like something I could get, uh, get I bet get I could get you behind-the-scenes VIP uh, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> a judge, uh, which means you get to eat uh, and sample some of the food, and then, uh, you know, that's uh, rate the different uh, amateur chefs. Well, I'm up for that. So back in a moment, really excited to talk to new Pro Football Hall of Famer, Drew Pearson. But first, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Powerhands is a global athletic training and rehabilitation product tech company that enhances human performance through the designs, innovative technology. If you are a coach, athlete, fitness enthusiast, Powerhands is for you. Who doesn't want to improve their overall performance and recovery? Even better, Powerhands is Dallas-based and a portion of every product purchased helps provide athletic and academic programs to youth in underserved communities. Go to powerhands.com and improve your athletic performance today. Thanks, Rach. Now we're honored to welcome to the mic drop Drew Pearson, Cowboys wide receiver from 1973 to 83, three Super Bowls, including victory in Super Bowl 12 in 1978, all-decade team of the 1970s in the NFL. Last weekend, the wait ended. Uh, with Drew's induction at long last into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Not bad for an undrafted free agent out of Tulsa. As Drew said in his speech, I did it my way, I did it the hard way. He sure did. Uh, also, a great career following his playing days as a broadcaster, which is how I first got to know Drew in his Channel 4 days, where he was always fun to work with and asked excellent questions of the Mavericks players, I, I, I will add, uh, in those days. And an entrepreneur, we're going to talk a little bit about that too, the many businesses that <laughs> Drew's involved in as well as motivational sp uh, speaking. So Drew, welcome to the mic drop. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you guys. Thanks for uh, being on the mic drop, man. I've been everywhere now. Okay. <laughs> I did say I've been everywhere now. Now that I'm on the mic drop. Right That's on. right. Well, well, Drew, I'm, I'm excited that uh, the mic drop is so high up on your priority. So that, I mean, that's <laughs> definitely gonna, that's gonna help us out in our subscribers for sure. But uh, really, really big congratulations. I love your passion and energy. And uh, I know this has been a long road for you, but uh, has it really sunk in yet? Yeah, it really has, you know, and uh, I couldn't help but let it sink in because everywhere I've been going, uh, people have been congratulating me and patting me on the back and saying I deserve it. It's about time. I'm leaving uh, Canton uh, through Cleveland uh, Monday evening, and the whole plane is giving me a standing ovation. The pilot even let them unbuckle their seatbelts to stand up to give me a standing <laughs> ovation on the airplane. Uh, so I can't help but let it sink in because people are just congratulating me and so happy for me 
And yes, it has sunk in and I am a pro football hall of famer. And if you could see me, I walk different. I talk different. And uh, I don't hope, hopefully I won't act different, but it's a great feeling. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. Well, I'm surprised you don't have that gold jacket on still. I was, I was looking over here on the screen to see if you still had it on, but I, I think you're right. That I got, I got this on today. I, okay. Uh, that'll work. I, I slept in this tonight, so <laughs> right on. I I think uh, where everyone in Canton may be uh, maybe cheering and on the plane, but I can definitely tell you that here back in the uh, DFW area, we were standing in front of our TVs just uh, clapping as as well and and cheering you on there um, because it did take a little longer than maybe anticipated. And Drew, give us a thought of why you think it took so long for you to get that induction. Well, the main reason is simply it's uh, just a tough process. It's a tough process getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And that's why I think with all due respect to all the other Hall of Famers, this is the 10th Hall of Fame I'm in, okay? But all the other professional Hall of Fames, uh, all due respect to them, uh, this is the toughest because it's so hard to get in. And it's so hard to get in because there's so many players that become eligible each and every year. And if you don't get in through that senior door, now you're lumped in through the senior category, and now it's even tougher to get in. And they just recently recently voted that now they're going to have one senior candidate inducted every year. And that's unfortunate because there's so many guys. But the process is so tough. It's just so difficult. And when you come out on the other end, you know you did something. You know you overcame something. You know you deserve to be there. Uh, and also, you also know the fact that the guys that aren't there, like a Cliff Branch, like a Harvey Martin, like a Clint, uh, Clint Murchison, people like that, hopefully, uh, Everson Walls, hopefully one day they can get through that process and end up on the other end like I was able to do. But through the process, you got to have patience. You know, you got to have patience through it all. You can't ever criticize the Pro Football Hall of Fame through the process, because if you criticize the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you're criticizing those Hall of Famers that are in the Hall of Fame. So you just let it ride and let God take the course and uh, put you on the right course. And he certainly put me on the right course to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Well, that's a very good uh, perspective in, in that. Uh, I know a lot of people around had a lot of questions of why. Why is it taking so long? But, Drew, we had Keith Russell on last week, and uh, he predicted you'd go over your eight-minute uh, limit on your speech. Uh, you did, yeah. not by much. I think I actually may have won in this uh, uh, bet of how long it may go. I don't know if, uh, you know, as you they were prepping you to uh, – uh, come on the mic drop if they gave you any uh, time limits here. But uh, what kind of reaction have you had? Uh, uh, have you gotten from your speech? Uh, just positive reaction. You know, I haven't even looked at it yet. I don't like to watch myself, you know, going through presentations. Even back in the day when I'm Me doing neither. Channel 4 or Channel 5, I never watched the replay of those things. Uh, I never like to watch myself. So I haven't watched the speech yet. But everybody's been telling me it was right on point. Uh, had the emotion and all that. And yes, I did go over the limit and I had a lot more to say before they cut me off, but I was saying something and all of a sudden there was a gap. You know, we had monitors there, prompters, and all of a sudden there's a gap. And after that gap, it was saying, Hail Mary, blessings to y'all. And that was the end of my speech. So they were pretty much telling me to cut it at that point. 
And I wanted to respect what they said. You know, they only gave us an eight minute limit to make that acceptance speech. You know, I've been waiting 38 years yeah. <laughs> for this opportunity. So to try to condense it all into eight minutes, uh, the acceptance and thank so many people and appreciate why you're there, very hard to do. But uh, I think our class, which says something about the class that I'm going in with, a lot of character, integrity, along with a uh, athletic greatness, says a lot about our class because we all pretty much stayed within the parameters uh, that were given to us in accepting our speech, uh, uh, our, our enshrinement. Drew, as a communications person, uh, I'm interested in the speech, you know, the process. How did you write it? Did you practice it a lot? How, how, how did you walk us through a little bit? How Because this speech was incredible. And I, I love seeing Michael Wilbon on, on Pardon the Interruption the other day say that he thought your speech was for him the best moment of the weekend wow. induction. Uh, wow. It was a great speech. How did you how did you get it there? How did you get it uh, all all uh, pulled together so effectively? Well, you know, I I had a you know they wanted they encouraged us to get a speechwriter and all that kind of stuff. But uh, Sully, you know, I've been involved in the media business for a long time. I was a weekend sportscaster in San Antonio. We had to make my own presentations, my own sportscast, and you had to uh, do that within a time frame. So you knew how to maximize words. You had to minimize words at the same time. And with that, you had to include video and everything else in the sportscast. So I knew how to do that. And so what I wanted to do is add my own words to it. I didn't want any speechwriter telling me what to write and that type of thing. So I incorporated, I don't know if you recognize in the beginning of the speech, that little uh, poem I did. Uh, 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 it was coming, it came from Joe Crocker. And Joe Sample, the song, one of my favorite songs. So uh, that was incorporated in that. I tried to add plain, uh, people's names, as many as I could. But I wanted to focus mainly on the reason. There's a lot of people that were part of the journey, but the journey wouldn't have been uh, uh, ending up at the Pro Football Hall of Fame if it wasn't for the NFL and Dallas Cowboys. So I wanted to make sure that point got across. Uh, so... I just, it just came, you know, as I was right, we had to have a, uh, submit a, uh, initial draft. Okay. When I submitted my first draft, uh, they said it was way too long, way too long, you know, and I said to condense it down and that was hard to do, but I didn't submit my second draft until that afternoon. Okay. So they didn't have yeah. time to critique it, you know, and then they put it on the prompter, but I knew it was going to be long, but I got the points in that I wanted to get in, and that was the main thing. So there's a lot more I wanted to add to that, but uh, I'll do that uh, at another time. And uh, 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 I got in what I wanted to get in. So, well, and I thought that, that there was a, there was a, a lot of passion, as Monica said. I loved how you repeated the words "Pro Football Hall of Fame" throughout to sort of drive <laughs> home the, the the arrival here. Uh, you know, at the at the end of this journey, not the end, but this current spot in the journey, the thank right. you to Gil Brandt was particularly cool. I thought, you know, yeah. given how he, the role that he played. Uh, but the other question that we want to ask is: <coughs> Is it true that you referenced the afro on your bust? Is it true <laughs> that that was the largest size afro allowed, given the specifications for the size of the the bust for the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton? That is exactly true, Sully. Uh, <laughs> One of the, the two most asked questions after I uh, got the word is who's going to be your presenter 
course, Roger Staubach, that's a no-brainer. And then is your bus going to have an Afro on it? And I said, of course, it's going to have an Afro. But I wanted to make sure it was the biggest Afro in the Hall of Fame because I claimed that I had the biggest Afro in NFL history, okay? There was a guy named Curtis Johnson that played for the Miami Dolphins, a cornerback. You know, he came close, okay? But he didn't have the biggest in NFL history. So I wanted to make that distinction. And when I visited with Scott Myers, who made the bus, who put the bus together, he's out of Granbury, Texas. He's done 25 bus. I've been, I was his 25th bus. He, he nailed Charles Haley. He nailed Cliff Harris. And when I went there to see mine, the original uh, rendition of it, I looked at from the side. I looked at the Afro. And I said, uh, Scott, is that all I can get <laughs> you know, on that Afro? And he said, yes. I said, well, how big is it? He said, it's 19 inches. I said, well, how come only 19 inches? He said, that's the limit that the hall will let you have. They got to have room for the other bus in the Hall of Fame. You can't be buttoned up to the other bus. So anyway, uh, it definitely is going to be the biggest Afro in uh, Pro uh, Football Hall of Fame. And I'm glad of that because that was distinction that I wanted. That's what I way I looked when I played. That's how fans know me. Uh, even a lot of players that came after me, like Tony Hill and Butch Johnson, when they came to the Cowboys, yeah, we watched you with your hair hanging out the back of your helmet and all that kind of stuff. And so the Afro was very distinctive part of my career, and I wanted that to be a distinctive part of my bus going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Now, the a distinctive part of your of your post playing career is going to be this this NFT, this non fungible token. We had Chris Ivy from Heritage Auctions on a few weeks ago talking about this. So coming up on August 21st and 22nd, this Hail Mary NFT with you and Roger Staubach is going to be auctioned off. Chris told us between 80 grand and $100,000 potentially will go for this. It's a digital piece of art. You get a 55-inch monitor. How did this come about and what do you, what do you make of all this, Drew? Well, it came about because they brought it to my attention. You know, I had been hearing about this, but I didn't know what it was. I said, what, what are they talking about, you know? And but, you know, the memorabilia is a pretty interesting business. You know, they, these uh, guys always continue to keep coming up with ways to reinvent the memorabilia business. And this is just another way to do that through digital art. When I heard about it, I didn't know what it was, NFT, non-functional. I said, oh, man, this is a disease or something, you know, or something <laughs> like that. I don't want to be involved with that. But then I saw somebody, you know, the other guys having success with it, a Gronkowski, a Tom Brady and the money they were generating by selling this digital art. And so when Doug Donnelly, former teammate, approached me about this, uh, you know, I said, do I have something that's of value as a piece of digital art? He said, you certainly do with the Hail Mary. And so that's when we approached Roger Staubach about it, and the two of us collaborated to do this. Uh, Sully and uh, Monica, I still don't know what it is, <laughs> but I know there's a market for it. And I know we got something that could satisfy that market. And uh, we're going to try to test that market with what we have through the Heritage Arts Auction House. So we're excited about it and see where we could take it. You said 80 to 100. Let's let it ride. Let it ride at that figure. <laughs> let it ride. You know, Drew, I think the last time that you and I were together in person was at the Arena Bowl in Tampa in 2000. Oh, and, I don't know, 2003 or four, somewhere in there. 
and you were in the parking lot the tampa tampa bay had just won the arena bowl and you were you know your licensing company had the arena football league contract and you were lamenting at how small these people thought uh, that they didn't let you order they didn't order enough caps and you had been sold out within minutes as, as the fans were leaving the the game which was an exciting game uh, yeah. you know your business ventures you've done very well interestingly you know david baker of course was the commissioner of the arena football league and little did we know on that day in the parking lot of the of, of uh of the arena that one day you and david baker would be together in canton as you went into the hall of fame Right. Uh, so, you know, congratulations on all your business success. There was one time, though, and you may not remember this, but uh, you, you've got a you've got a Drew Pearson's uh, Sports 88 at DFW Airport, right? Terminal E. That's yeah. So everybody go yeah. to Terminal E. It gets great reviews uh, online. I'm going to go there next time I'm in Terminal E. But you right. had a, you had a version of, of Drew Pearson's Sports 88. At around Central and Park Lane, and there was a point yeah. in time where, where I, I don't know if you did this because you would have had better judgment than this, but your general manager, somebody made available to certain people, including some Maverick staffers, these VIP cards that were good for eighty-eight dollars worth of, of of food, and and uh, you know each time you went in there, and Tony Fay and Mitchell Gleber and our equipment manager Carrie Lee somehow got a hold of these things. And, and, and their attendance at Drew Pearson's uh, Sports 88 <laughs> on Park Lane on a daily basis as young guys who weren't making much money may have been, that may be the reason that's still not, it's not there anymore. Right, right, right. <laughs> Thank you but, for letting me know that. That's why we uh, had to close up over yeah, so, uh, extending our expenses. <laughs> that's right. But just, just before I hand it, hand it back to Monica, reflect a little bit on your on your business success that you've had, the things that you've been able to do post-career you've done a lot of different things and all of them have been successful yeah I've, uh, I've had a lot of success and the reason uh guys is because you know playing for the Dallas Cowboys I learned a lot about football especially uh, being there 11 seasons uh playing for coach Landry I learned a lot about X's and O's of the game the strategies of the game and all that but sitting there in those meetings uh for 11 years uh after you got past all that football stuff what do you do what I did was watch and observe how the Dallas Cowboys did business. And that was my business education. You know, it wasn't Harvard Business School, but it was the Dallas Cowboy Business School. And that's pretty good because I'm learning from, you know, Clint Murchison. I'm learning from uh, 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 Tech Schramm about marketing. I'm learning about um, and negotiating from uh, Gil Brandt. I'm learning about vision and being innovative from Coach Landry. And I, when I got out of the game, I applied that into my business life. And uh, when I started Drew Pearson Marketing, a headwork company with two other guys, Mike Russell and Ken Shedd, you know, I said, we got to build this business just like the Dallas Cowboys were built. And if we do, then we're going to build a foundation strong enough where we can weather any storm that we're certainly going to face in this competitive business, especially in a competitive category of headwear. So that's what the Dallas Cowboys have built. That's why they can weather 25 years of not going to uh, winning a playoff game and the Super Bowl and all that kind of stuff because the foundation of the Dallas Cowboys with, built with Clint Murchison and those guys I mentioned is so strong. And so that's what I wanted to do with the business. And so all my business acumen and knowledge came from my experiences with the Dallas Cowboys. And building that business, I sold uh, licensed headwear for 23 years. And uh, 
And uh, because we had that success is a lot of the reason with the, uh, the way I built it with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, but I've had my knocks and uh, bruises and all that and knockdowns and bruises with the, uh, in the business world. Uh, I failed there, but I've been able to recover. And a lot of reason I've been able to recover because that's the way we do in football. You know, first thing you learn as a football player, not how to catch touchdowns and do that dance in the end zone. First thing you do, you have to learn is how to hit, get hit, get tackled and get up and get tackled again and act like you're having a good time doing all this kind of stuff. So you learn that in the football world, in the sports world, then you take it to the business world. But even I was able to surround myself with the right people. And that was a big deal because I didn't have success in the NFL unless I surrounded myself with those right people, Hall of Famers, great coaching, great organization and all that. So that was the key to my success. And then, guys, I've just been able to parlay it all along the way uh, and create, keep creating opportunities uh, along the way. The restaurant at the airport, they approached me, a company out of uh, Atlanta. They had known me from the business world, and they asked me if I would want to do this. And I said, why not? You know, and uh, we've been having a great relationship now for three years. We've been strong enough to uh, to get past COVID and that in uh, uh, period where, you know, we couldn't have any sales or we had to shut down the restaurant through the airport and things like that. And then I was able to parlay that into getting back into the apparel business through the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, they blessed us with the opportunity to sell Cowboy Legends merchandise. We go to CowboyLegends.com. You want a D.D. Lewis jersey, a Rayfield Wright jersey, a Ken Sullivan jersey, you go to CowboyLegends.com and we can do that for you. Uh, but, you know, just getting opportunities to continue in the business world and taking advantage of those opportunities, and, you know, is what I've been able to do. Well, Drew, I have so many more questions that I could ask you, uh, but I only have a, a few minutes for one. And so before we let you go, I mean, I could ask you what you think about uh, our Cowboys. Are they playoff team? Are they Super Bowl bound? But one of, I think what I really want to know is what's left on the bucket list? What is uh, What should we expect here in these future <laughs> years from Drew Pearson? I think I'm there, you know. <laughs> Kick dirt on me. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, 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 you know, I'm not that adventurous kind of, kind of guy. I don't go fishing. I don't play golf. I don't want to climb no, climb no mountains. I don't want to go to Europe and all these kind of things people naturally have on a bucket list. You know, I'm good. I just want to be around to uh, and have good health uh, to see my grand come, grandsons and granddaughters come through. I got two grandsons playing college football, one at Southeastern Oklahoma State a wide receiver up there. Another is a defensive back at the University of Colorado. I got a couple more grandsons coming through high school. So I just want to have continued health to be able to watch them. And I'm so fortunate that God has put me in a position to be able to do that, where I don't have to work on a daily basis. I'm still involved in some things like the Frisco Fighters of the Indoor Football League. Yeah. I'm the CRO, which is Chief Relations Officer. And so I stay involved in the game of football that way. I stay involved in the game of football by watching the Dallas Cowboys and trying to keep up with them. But as far as trying to accomplish things, you know, when I, when I, when I said to myself, when I get into this Pro Football Hall of Fame, that is my mountaintop. That caps things off for me. 
And if I can keep the rest of my life in place, like I've kept this life after football in place and have the good health to uh, be here, like I said, to watch my family grow, my grandkids continue to grow, then that's my bucket list. That's all I need. Hood, hood. <laughs> <laughs> well, Drew, we really appreciate you being on uh, the mic drop, especially uh, so close to uh, or after your induction. Uh, we definitely are, are glad to see you reach that mountaintop. Wish you the best of health uh, uh, moving forward. And uh, I'm sure this won't be your first appearance on the mic drop. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Sully. I uh, hope it's not the last appearance, okay? Because uh, I enjoyed the conversation. Bring the original 88 back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Over right to on. Rachel right from uh, a little word from our sponsors. Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. Thanks, Rach. And now we're pleased to be joined by Mark Stein. You know him from the Dallas Morning News, where he was the I would say principal chronicler of the early Dirk Nowitzki years. Then he became a star on TV at ESPN as an NBA insider beginning in 2017 over to the New York Times. And now Mark has a new Substack newsletter with weekly NBA insider news uh, called the Stein Line. Now we're just talking to Drew Pearson about being in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, we had Rick Gosselin on last week, who was in the writer's wing of the Football Hall of Fame. Well, Steiny was the 2019 winner of the Kurt Gowdy Media Award for print media, which makes him a, mem a, a uh, member of the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, so that's pretty cool to follow one Hall of Famer with another. Steiny is also, in addition to being a great NBA insider, is an international soccer and tennis aficionado. So we may get into some of that too. But Steiny, welcome to the mic drop. Uh, let's start with, with Luka Doncic. Uh, first, you know, what he did at the Olympics, bringing Slovenia, who had never been there before, to the brink uh, of, of, a, of a medal, and, uh, and his new $200 million contract, the youngest player ever to hit that number. Uh, how good can Luka Doncic be? Well, first, I got to say thank you for one of the nicest intros ever provided to me. That was beautiful. All true. And, All true. And, uh, well, some of it was true. I don't know that I should be in the same sentence as Drew Pearson, but very honored to be on the same show with him. Um, Luca, he's, you know, I think everyone around here knows what a force he is in the NBA, but he's an international marvel too. I mean, they obviously fell short of a bronze medal in the end, but Slovenia is a tiny, tiny, tiny country, 2 million people. The Luca was 17 or 18 when he and Goran Dragic co-starred and made themselves uh, European champions. They won Eurobasket in 2017, which that was absolutely unbelievable. And then just to qualify for the Olympics, they had to win. Basically, the Olympics is only a 12-team field in basketball, and so to uh, you, you have, uh, they have four, what they call last chance qualifying tournaments and Slovenia was in what there's 24 teams playing for four spots. 
basically you're in four different countries, six teams. Slovenia had to win in Lithuania. They had to beat Lithuania in Lithuania just to get to the Olympics. That is not easy to do. Lithuania has constantly been a powerhouse on the international stage. So just the way they qualified for the Olympics to win in Kaunas, and then they were 17-0 and with Luka in uniform before finally losing a game when they lost the semifinal game to France and then they lost the bronze medal game to Australia. So it finished in a rough fashion, but you know, there's only one other NBA player on that team. Most viewers I'm guessing hadn't heard of anybody on that team. You know, Mike Toby's the naturalized American, but he, what, what he does with his national team is, uh, is no less amazing than what he's already done in the NBA at a young age. You know, like, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of questions in Dallas about how Nico Harrison, who we've been impressed with here in the mic drop and early going, uh, you know, what he needs to do to build around Luca. Do you like the additions of Bullock and Brown, Reggie Bullock and Sterling Brown, not glamorous, uh, not, not, you know, bold faced names, but pretty good players. I mean, how do you see the effort, their off season this year and what they can do to get some quickly get some talent around Luca? I mean, the offseason has been okay. And, you know, Mavs fans are anxious. They're frustrated. They've been waiting a long time for a free agent splash because, frankly, the Mavs haven't made free agent splashes in the, in the Mark Cuban era. They've done very well trading. They've won a championship. But in free agency, it, it hasn't worked out the way they've wanted to. So that's a big reason why when everything kind of unraveled and Donnie Nelson left the organization and Rick Carlisle left the organization. It was this sudden change for the Mavs after, you know, years and years and years of continuity to just suddenly not have a general manager and not have a coach and be starting over. The, the reason they lasered into Nico Harrison, a big part of it was relationships and contacts and just how, how well known he is throughout NBA circles because of his time at Nike, because the Mavs haven't had that. They just have not, they haven't fared well in that area. And that was a clear weakness. And they hope that Nico Harrison has addressed it, but ultimately he's going to be judged on who they can bring in here. Now this summer was actually not a great summer to have cap space. There really weren't difference makers available. They went after Kyle Lowry, who if, if you really study what's happened in free agency, Kyle Lowry, there was a, a bidding war for him. DeRozan ended up going to Chicago in a sign and trade on a big contract, but there wasn't exactly a huge rush of teams trying to sign him. And then Russell Westbrook went to the Lakers in a trade. Those were really the three biggest moves. So I think the Mavs have actually handled this the right way since they didn't land Lowry. You know, Lowry was their guy. They lost out to Miami on him. They've made moves by signing Reggie Bullock, signing Sterling Brown. They're still trying to find a way to get Goran Dragic through sign and trade. They've, they're, they're in the mix for Lowry Markin in a restricted free agent. They're trying to find a pathway to get him. I don't think ultimately that's going to be successful, but they, to me, it would have been, okay, we didn't get Lowry. Now let's, now let's overspend for someone who, who isn't as good. I mean, that's, the reality is their big free agent move was a trade. They made the trade for Porzingis before Porzingis got the free agency. And so far that trade is not working out as designed. And I think a big emphasis for this season is to try to get Porzingis 
back to something close to an all-star level. That's, that's something the Mavs feel like is within their power. We had Jason Kidd on the mic drop a couple of weeks ago, and he, he talked about the lessons he learned as Frank Vogel's top assistant at L.A., making him a better coach than he was in Brooklyn and Milwaukee, uh, including with a style of play and an offensive mindset that will, that will benefit Porzingis yeah, and, and put him in position alongside Luca and Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, to, to be a, a formidable you know, trio. What do, you, what do you make of that assess or how you see Jason Kidd, uh, you know, who, we all, who we all know and love, uh, you know, from the Mavericks beat Steiny, but what do you think, uh, you know, his approach will be and how do you think he'll do as, as, a, as a third time head coach? Well, look, with the Lakers, he had a very big role for an assistant because, you know, having been a playing contemporary of LeBron James and just the respect that he gets because of his playing resume, he was a big voice there and a big part of, you know, LeBron, coaching LeBron James and coaching Anthony Davis. Jason Kidd had a big hand in that. And I think that's a reason why he appealed to the Mavs because, you know, with the Mavs own stars, you know, Luca has been otherworldly for three years, but the Porzingis experiment has been up and down. Those guys got it. There, there has to be some sort of better partnership forged between those two. Uh, we saw glimpses of it in the bubble before Porzingis got hurt, but last season it was nowhere close to where it needed to be. And by the playoffs, some of that was matchup based, but uh, you know, the Mavs need a lot more production from Porzingis. So I think Kid will, will deal with that head on. And it's a big reason why I reported this actually last week. Obviously, the Mavs just sent their big delegation to Slovenia to hand deliver Luca this $200 plus million contract extension. Most of the traveling party returned to Dallas, but Jason Kidd and Casey Smith, who's the Mavs director of player health and services, they went on to Latvia to spend more face-to-face -face time with Porzingis. Porzingis has already been in Dallas some this offseason, but this isn't just a keep Luca happy operation. They know they have to, they have to help, uh, you know, they have to help Porzingis get back to, to, to where he was in the bubble to, to have success. I mean, that's, that's just, it's just a mandatory thing for this team. Mark, I, I definitely will be taking or keeping an eye on the Mavs and uh, excited to have Jason Kidd here and uh, see what Luca can do and really excited for how Luca performed uh, in the Olympics. But I'm going to change um, topics a little bit and want to talk a little international soccer as, as we gear up for hopefully being named a host city for FIFA World Cup in 2026. I know you have ties to national teams in U.S., uh, Israel and Romania. What do you think about uh, Dallas's opportunity? Uh, should we be a host city? Do we have what it takes to to be a host city in 2026? <laughs> I mean, I'm too biased to answer that question. <laughs> Living here, I would I would love to see that. I covered the 1994 World Cup, which was um, really a surreal experience. You know, growing up a soccer fan, uh, it's so much better now in this country to be a soccer fan. It was not easy to be a kid in the 70s and the 80s and and love a game that was not widely available now I was in Southern California in those years I wasn't here so I don't have firsthand experience of how the NASL years were here and, and I I missed you know 
the, the Dallas sidekicks have been a, a huge part of my life since I moved here, but I missed the glory days of, of winning the MISL and uh, a Dallas sidekicks parade in Dallas and a full reunion arena to watch them. I never got to see any of that with my own eyes, but um, covering the 94 World Cup was one of the absolute highlights of, of my life. Uh, I did not get to make it to any of the Dallas games during that tournament. I, I was mostly in uh, Southern California and, and Northern California, but um, the United States place in the world game is so much bigger now, so much more established. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine a World Cup on U.S. soil that, that didn't involve Dallas. So, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I, I'm not worried about it in the least. I, I, I have to think that, that Dallas will be included in that list of, of host cities, and I will, be, uh, I will be as excited as anyone to see it. You'll be attending matches uh, then in, in 2026. You'll have that opportunity. Uh, well, I wish I could sit here and say I'm not worried about it, but uh, I'm very <laughs> excited for the uh, opportunity to get these site visits through and have uh, FIFA give us a uh, uh, an idea of what they're what they're thinking and actually be named a host city. I mean, 1994. I still today. Uh, uh, you mentioned World Cup. Uh, it brings up a lot of memories from a lot of people who uh, called North Texas home and who were here in '94. And Mark, I'm not sure if you you realize or or know that uh, we're also bidding on the International Broadcast Center. So uh, something that was hosted here in 1994 over at Frere Park and a great opportunity for us to engage media from a worldwide standpoint uh, as well and have them in our our home here in, in the Dallas area from good January through August. So a great opportunity for us there. Yeah, it would be incredible. And, um, you know, like I said, the, the 94 World Cup was such such a huge moment for the game in this country. And look, I I've had as you know, Sully kind of laid it out, I have had a dream come true life covering the NBA. The 93-94 season was actually my first season in the league. I started, I, I got thrown onto the NBA beat halfway through that season covering the Los Angeles Clippers. And then shortly after that season, I covered the World Cup because there was no way the World Cup is, is on U.S. soil and I was going to miss that even though now I was an NBA writer. But people always ask me, if you loved soccer so much, why weren't you a soccer writer? And they're just, you know, it, it didn't exist yeah. in, in the early 90s. I mean, the NASL folded in the mid-80s, and uh, the, the MISL, the indoor game, was the only league in this country, really, of any stature. And just there, there were no soccer writers at that. You know, after that World Cup, shortly thereafter, MLS started in 1996. And, and now, you know, some 20-plus you know, years later, it, 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 the whole landscape looks completely different. And uh, it's, such, it's so great to be a soccer fan in this country now where you know, we have TV access to all the big leagues throughout Europe and you know, MLS is thriving and you know, the, we, can, we can touch the game in so many different ways. So, Yeah, we were uh, able to, to, to bring a lot of uh, international soccer this summer uh, with the CONCACAF Gold Cup. And another event uh, that'll kind of be new for, for Dallas is coming up and with you being a uh, a tennis enthusiast wanted to get your perspective on uh, this Dallas Open in February 2022. We'll be over at uh, SMU. Uh, great opportunity to further engage in uh, our tennis community and and get another high level event here. So, uh, will you be attending that and uh, taking part? And what are your thoughts on tennis in Dallas? 
Oh yeah, one zillion percent. I will be there because that is, you know, my three. Those are my those are my three sports. The NBA, soccer, and tennis are my three loves. There is some Buffalo Sabers hockey thrown in there, but that's a story <laughs> for another day. But no, tennis was actually tennis cemented me as as going into sports writing. I I think I knew I was going to do what I was going to do at age nine, but I started playing tennis very late. Unfortunately, I didn't start really playing till I was thirteen, but I was obsessed instantly with tennis and I knew I was never going to come anywhere near the pro circuit as a player so my my initial plan really was try to make it as a writer make the pro tour as a tennis writer and same thing in those days which really were the glory days of tennis in this country it, it was there were only very few writers who could make a full-time living covering tennis but when I throughout my my tennis upbringing throughout the 80s. I mean, Dallas was known as a tennis city and the WCT finals were something that I watched on TV every single year, days at a time. I mean, I just vividly remember it. So I moved to Dallas in 1997 and obviously tennis has had nowhere near the profile in my time in the city like it did in the 80s. Again, in the 80s, the you know Dallas as a tennis city the the WCT event was you know as big as it gets domestically short of the U.S. Open I mean it was a massive tournament so to see a full fledged tour tour event come back to Dallas is fantastic I mean we've had Challenger events for many many years and I always go to those and uh, you know Dirk Nowitzki is a tennis addict and he always goes to those but you know to have to have a to have a tour stop here. Uh, is long overdue and um, I, I, I cannot wait. Now, February, selfishly speaking, and a concern <laughs> that only affects me, you know, it's, it, that event always tends to be real close to the trade deadline. So that makes it a little tricky for me, but uh, no, I will be, you will definitely see me, you will definitely see me uh, as one of the, the last to leave at night when, when the tennis is over. You know, Steiny, Dirk uh, hit some balls with John Isner at Monica's event announcing the Dallas Open. Do I remember correctly that the sidekicks actually let you play in a game once upon a time? Yeah, that was actually one of the greatest, the, the coolest experiences of my career. I did a first-person story on the, the sidekick signed me to a one-week contract, $1, <laughs> one-week contract, and I wrote a whole story about it. But really, the bet, I mean, that was incredible. And I got to, I got to, I got to be in two games. Now, one of them, we were, uh, it was a, it was a home road Saturday, Sunday night, or maybe Friday, Saturday night. The, the road game was in Houston, played at the old Astro Arena, which was like a little small building near the Astrodome. And I actually got in the game for the last 40 seconds. And uh, my one touch, somehow the, some mystical powers helped me actually I did, I, I, I did everything I was supposed to. There's no video of it, unfortunately, but I, I, the ball came to me one time, controlled it well, passed it well. We saw it the last minute of a victory and it was, uh, you know, it was dream come true stuff. Then the next night was at Reunion Arena, the home game, and the sidekicks were winning big and Tattoo was the player coach at the time and, said, and basically came to me and said, you're gonna get some, you're gonna get multiple shifts in this quarter because we're in a good position. And then um, John Olomolomu, who was during the week, probably as welcoming to me as any player on the team, got ejected. And suddenly the sidekicks had to play the last four or five minutes a man short. 
there was no way they could play me because now they would have been two men short. And so my chance to play in the home game at Reunion Arena was extinguished as quickly as it arose. But incredible week-long experience, dream come true. And honestly, the best part, really, from that moment, the sidekicks have treated me like one of their own for, the, for, for all these years since. When, when lit, you know, I was just a sports writer doing a George Plimpton one-week story exercise and they've treated me like all those guys tattoo from tattoo through the all the sidekicks legends that you know these guys have been so wonderful to me and it is a uh, really one of the greatest experiences of my time here since I moved to Dallas well 40 seconds as a pro athlete is more than more than most of us get so I will cool. take I will take it and savor every second as we, as we, uh, as before we let you go, talk to us about your move from the New York Times to starting your own new Substack newsletter, the Steinline. You've got 1.4 million Twitter followers, so you've got sort of built-in, you know, marketing to do something like this. But, but why did you do it, and what can people expect? It's really an it, just an incredible opportunity to do something that I've never had the chance to do. I've been doing this a long time. I'm, I'm entering my 29th NBA season, but I've never really, I've never been the one to make all the decisions, make all the assignments, write all the headlines, answer all the questions, plan all the travel, just do, you know, go where I want to go, write what I think I should write. Uh, it's, it's, with the rise of Substack, it's just something that kept pulling at me and pulling at me. And I, I just, I had to, I had to jump into this world and see for myself what it would be like to really establish a one-to-one -one relationship with the readers. I mean, it's incredible how, you know, you just, you basically, you get this blank canvas and you are so connected with the people who read you. And um, it's, that part of it has just been sensational. Um, so basically I'm writing, you know, multiple times a week, you know, you can sign up for, you know, I, at the times, and I never had any newsletter experience before I got to the times. And so at the times I did, a, I did a newsletter every Tuesday and it just, it got a really good response from people. I really enjoyed putting it together. I kind of looked at it as like the modern day version of what my old, Sunday notes page in the morning news would have been, and it, you know, one of the great lures to come into the morning news was to be able to follow in the footsteps of a David Moore and do a whole page of Sunday NBA notes. And that's kind of how I looked at the Tuesday newsletter. And now, so on my Substack, the Tuesday newsletter will always stay free. I will never change that. The readers got it free at the New York times. So they'll, continue to get it free via my Substack. So if you want to read my Tuesday newsletter, all it takes is an email. All the other content will, will be subscriber content, um, but I'm going to post a lot. And, uh, you know, yesterday, just for example, some breaking news on, on the Lakers interest in Isaiah Thomas. And um, it's, it's, it's a real, it's a, the platform is just, it's very empowering and uh, it just, it creates a whole, a whole new range of possibilities that I've never really had at my disposal before. So I appreciate you asking me about it. And please, if, if people like reading me, check it out. All it takes is an email for starters, markstein.substack.com. And I will, I'm there to write for you. And that's Mark with a C. And I was one, uh, you know, when my, I, I got the free newsletter and I was compelled to become a founding uh, member subscriber 
So I'm, I'm on board. It's well worth it, everybody. So check out markstein.substack.com for fantastic NBA insider news. Steiny, thanks so much for joining us here in the mic drop. This was a blast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for putting me in the same sentence as Drew Pearson. That doesn't happen every day. And uh, gr- wishing you guys great luck on the, on, the, on the 2026 World Cup efforts. Thank you very much. And we're going to put John Radigan in the same sentence as Mark Stein and Drew Pearson. Back with John from Bally Sports in a moment. First, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Looking to get out of the house in a safe way? Try having a relaxing weekend at the spa or a fun family staycation for spring break. The Omni Dallas Hotel is right in the heart of downtown, within walking distance to some of the area's best restaurants and unique shopping. The Uptown Terrace Infinity Pool is a family-friendly retreat during the day and a great place to watch a romantic sunset over the Dallas skyline at night. Go to omnihotels.com Dallas for the best offers and plan your post-quarantine staycation today. Because why? Big wins happen here. Thanks, Rach. John Radigan arrived on the scene in Dallas back in 1990. Channel 5 had a great run there. Longtime fixture at Fox Sports, of course, now known as Valley Sports, where he answers anchors Rangers pre and, pre and post game shows in a rotation with Dana Larson and Sarah Merrifield. Radigan has won 13 Emmys for crying out loud. Welcome to the mic drop, John. It is great to see you. Yeah, man, it was great to be in the same sentence with Drew Pearson and Mark Stein. I heard some of Steiny's thing. One quick note on that 94 World Cup with the broadcast center, the international broadcast center he was talking about. I covered that for Channel 5. I met so many cool people, including I still maintain contact with a friend from Brazil who was here that year covering that whole World Cup. Of course, they won it, you know, but um, it was so cool. I hope Dallas gets obviously everything they can for this year, you know, this World Cup bid, but especially the International Broadcast Center, man, that was so cool. So, John, if you had 40 seconds as a professional athlete, what sport would it be in? You know, it would probably, it would have to be probably tennis, uh, ironically, although I wasn't nearly as into it as it sounds like Mark was, uh, but I played it in high school, played it at, you know, I had an opportunity to walk on a college team. I was a decent player, so it would probably have to be that. And I did hit with John McEnroe one time in one of those when I was in Flint, Michigan. He came through on one of those exhibitions, and I got to hit with John McEnroe. And, uh, you know, he was being nice, but I didn't uh, embarrass myself anyway. So, have to be very cool. Let's talk Rangers uh, for a moment. Uh, I thought it was really interesting this week that Evan Grant, who we we love reading as the Rangers beat writer for the Morning News, uh, asked the Morning News and, you know, worked it out so that he could actually. Uh, you know, cover the Hickory Crawdads for a few days to, to observe first person the prospects that came over in the Joey Gallo story. I encourage people to find and read that story uh, at DallasNews.com. Uh, we saw Sam Hunt hit a 502-foot home yeah. run for the, for the Frisco Rough Riders. Uh, we all believe help is on the way, but, 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 but what do you make of uh, obviously, youth movement in full force, uh, but got some good prospects in return for Kyle Gibson and and, and Joey Gallo. Where, where 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 do you think we stand now in the in the Rangers rebuild? Yes. Yeah, so the great news is there. The help is on the way, and the future is bright. Here's the bad news: we really just started, right? I mean, this was it. This was the beginning 
of the official rebuild. John Daniels even said it recently in a press conference we had right around the time of the trade deadline. Someone asked him, hey, you've never used the word rebuild before. And he said, well, I was never sure we were fully committed to it. But now that we've done these things, that is where we are. That is what we're doing. So the, the great news is the future's bright. The bad news is it's going to take a little while. It's not going to be next year, and it probably won't be the year after that. It takes time for these prospects to develop. We learned it last year when a whole bunch of players, because of the roster configurations and all those things in the 60-game schedule, a whole bunch of guys came from A-ball to the major leagues. And yes, some of them had some instant success, but you can't sustain it until you build this base of learning the game at the minor league level. So, John, I'm going to switch to Cowboys a little now um, in terms of, obviously, we're in preseason. Dak has a, a, another injury. We had Troy Aikman on uh, a few weeks ago, and he was maybe thinking that, that that injury was maybe a little bit more serious than the Cowboys were we're letting on. What's your prediction for our Cowboys this season? Well, the good news is Dak was right back at it yesterday, uh, right at the two-week mark of when they said, you know, he's going to be ready. He's got it's about a two-week injury, and he was out there throwing lots of balls around the practice field yesterday. Stephen Jones said yesterday there's a chance that Dak will play in the preseason game this week. So I think that's all good news for Dak's health. And I think that is huge because the thing about that guy, even, I mean, his talent, I think is great. I really think he's a great quarterback, but even over and above that, he is an elite leader. Everybody on that team follows this guy. Unbelievably. He's the, you know, he's the mother duck and it's all the ducklings following him, man. I'm telling you, they line up behind this guy and they love him. And so this team really needs him to have success. Now, can you rebuild a defense from what was a historically bad defense? I mean, historically by NFL standards in one year, I don't know. I give the Cowboys a lot of credit. They did everything you can do in the draft to try and rebuild this thing. And it sure looks like Micah Parsons is the real deal. I just don't know that that defense can be rebuilt that quickly which is why I don't think it's going to be a great year for the Cowboys, but yeah, I could see them winning 10 games in a 17 member 17 game season. With the, with the NFC East, not exactly being loaded with juggernauts, there could be an upper an opportunity there. Uh, you know, we saw on the first edition of hard knocks uh, this week, Dak's leadership on full display. It was pretty cool. He put himself back in and got, got uh, Garrett Gilbert off the practice field before he even could, could take a snap when the coaching staff was trying to get him some rest, the leadership was, was obvious there. Did you have a chance yet to see the first episode, uh, John? I haven't seen it. We had a Ranger game that night and I've been meaning to go back and look at it. I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but uh, the reviews were pretty good. And, and um, you know, the, uh, the, the group that does hard knocks does such a great job because uh, somehow they get things like that. None of uh, none of the rest of us even see. It's really amazing, and uh, I'm anxious. I'm anxious to see it. I think it's cool that the Cowboys are on there again. It, it, it's uh, it's cool. We're going to break it down further next week. I did enjoy watching Ezekiel Elliott. What he said was wrapping a a present for the first time in wrapping paper for uh, for Dak's birthday. That was that was pretty cool. So. So this is the part of the program, John, where we ask our guests, you know, what are you downloading lately? What are you streaming? This could be, could be a book, movie, TV, podcast. What are, you, what are you consuming these days in terms of media? 
Well, I'll tell you one thing uh, uh, from a book standpoint, uh, and I was late to the game on reading. Um, one time, I never, I didn't read, because, you know, they made me read in high school and college and I didn't want to read it all. It wasn't until um, in the, I think, I think it was still the old Arlington Stadium. So it would have been early 90s. John Grisham shows up at, at the old Arlington Stadium. And it was one of these deals. He was doing a one-off interview and they, they told him, you can interview anybody you want. And he said, I want to interview Nolan Ryan. So yeah, it would have been there because Nolan was still pitching. So he came to interview Nolan and everybody's freaking out. That's John Grisham. That's John Grisham. And I, not kidding you, said, who's John Grisham? And I mean, the firm was out, you know what I mean? You know, Time to Kill was out. And so I'm like, man, I'm people are, you know, Arnold Payne and these guys, you know, the photographer from Channel 8 and my cameraman, Kerry Smith, the great Kerry Smith, they're freaking out. So I said, I got it. I better, maybe I'll go buy this firm. Well, I read it and I have not stopped. I read everything Grisham ever wrote since then. Uh, and I told him that once, I think he got a little offended. Uh, he said, I said, hey, I've, I've read everything you've ever written. There's only you and one other author that fall in that category. He goes, who's the other? And I said, Dr. Seuss. And he goes, oh, okay, I'll take that. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I started reading then. I haven't stopped, but everybody's read Grisham. I'm not telling you, hey, here's a good idea. Download Grisham. Have you heard of Frederick Bachman? This guy is worth reading. Eric Nadell and I, the great Hall of Famer, the Rangers broadcaster, and I are book uh, buddies. And, and he, set, he turned me on to this guy, Frederick Bachman. He's from Sweden. And um, he wrote a, a book that actually did become a movie called A Man Called Ove. And Sully, you for sure need to read it because you are of an age like I am, you know, kind of a get off my lawn kind of age and stuff. <laughs> and that's what, uh, that's what Ove is. And uh, so, and it's fantastic. And every book I've read from Bachman, he's a great hockey writer too, about the hockey games and stuff and stop them. Uh, uh, every book I've read makes me cry. So uh, that Frederick Bachman's what I'm downloading. Musically, I'm on, I'm on the Marin Morris train. Now here's the story with me and Marin Morris, speaking of get off my lawn. So uh, Marin Morris, her parents own a salon in Arlington. And they, and I used to get my hair cut there and stuff. So we knew that I knew the family and the whole thing. They ultimately, they built a house whose fence backed up to our fence in, uh, and it was actually Grand Prairie, but it was right there in Arlington. And um, so anyway, uh, you know, I'd see these little girls from behind, you know, looking over at the pool and I'd be like, ah, go away girls. You gotta... Well, one of them was Marin. You know, don't you think it would have been nice for me to invite her over maybe let her swim a little bit. Don't you think that might've paid a few dividends down the line? Anyway. Uh, I really don't know her well, but I, I love her music and it, it makes you proud when you, you know, you saw this person as a little child and here she is just tearing up country music. So uh, those are, those are kind of my two big downloads. You know, my 98 year old mom and my sister-in-law, Mary Ellen, both recommended Bachman to me and I didn't listen to him. So now you, you, you're the third person. So I'm in. on. on oh, uh, wait, and let, I'll tell you, you know, cause Sully, you know, my brother, Terry. So that's right. uh, my brother, PR Terry, guy. Yeah, PR guy for General Motors, big high executive. And uh, he had a, a minor surgery that had him laid up for a couple of weeks just before COVID in early 2020. And um, he gets this package from me and his wife says, who's that package from, you know? And, and she go, he goes, obviously someone who doesn't know me at all because I sent him three Bachman books. And he doesn't, he was at the point at that age, he's in his mid 50, he doesn't read. Well, he read Man Called Ovi and he's totally in. 
and he, he started to read everything by Bachman. So you, you, you can, there's two recommendations from the Radigan family. Yeah, so and I love Terry. Guys. I had, a, I had a, the fun uh, opportunity to work with him a few years ago uh, on a project at GM and cool guy. And that was, that was fun to get to do. Uh, so Monica, what are you downloading? Well, you know, suddenly after the Olympics was over, I turned on the TV the next day and I was like, man, I, there's such a void in my life now of uh, no Olympic coverage. So I turned Netflix on and uh, found Athlete A, which is the, uh, the documentary regarding USA Gymnastics and Larry Nasser and, and that situation. And then followed that up with uh, The Heist, which was a uh, very, very interesting uh, true stories of, um, you know, uh, I think one was based in Las Vegas and uh, busting out uh, $7 million and how they go about that, uh, getting, getting in the criminal mind there. John, I recommend if you ever think about turning to a life of crime, watch The Heist because there's, there's, there's sort of, it's six episodes. I'm into this too, uh, along with Monica. And, and each one, it, there's three two-part stories and each one, they have a great idea and they're going to get away with it. And, you know, it doesn't work out the way they uh, hope, let's, let's say. Uh, my download, uh, MX, uh, go ahead, John, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, for TV, my latest on TV, and if you like Top Gear, Jeremy Clarkson's Farm. I think it's on Prime and uh, it's fantastic. Jeremy Clarkson, of course, was the star of the British version of Top Gear. And um, he, he owns a thousand acre farm i think in northern england it's fantastic it's funny another one only six episodes i'm just a couple in but that's a great one another good recommendation so my my download this week is actually an act of surrender we had uh when ted lasso made its premiere last year i watched the first episode and i shut it down i thought this was just another fish out of water story i was not that interested then in february we started doing the mic drop episode one jeff van gundy comes on and, and talks about Ted Lasso. And multiple uh, media people that we've had in this segment, John, talked about Ted Lasso and how great it was. And, and Monica likes it, other people like it. And so once the Olympics was over, because I was pretty monogamous with my viewing during, the, during those 17 days of the Olympics, uh, my wife, Joe, and I said, you know what, we're gonna give Ted Lasso a try. We ripped off four episodes and, and immediately, and it's fun and sweet and likable and, and so, so I have waved the white flag and I'm all in on Ted Lasso. So that, that's, that's mine for this week. Have you, have you checked out Ted Lasso as a sports guy? Uh, we should have asked Steiny as a soccer guy, but. Yeah, no kidding. I, I haven't yet, but we, um, my wife said the same thing. She's heard it because often, you know, our interests aren't going to match very well. So, uh, but this was one where it's funny, it's sportsy. Uh, it's heartwarming. Apparently, I, I read on Twitter, somebody when this, I think the third episode of season two dropped, somebody went, okay, I sports cried on Ted Lasso. So, I mean, there's some heartwarm. I haven't seen one yet, but we that's next on our list as well, Sully. All right, good deal. Well, John, thanks so much for being with us. On behalf of Monica Paul and the Dell Sports Commission, uh, thanks to John, also Mark Stein and Drew Pearson for another great show. Thanks to the Mic Drop production team, Chris Amelia, Marcus Carr, Olivia Petnicki, the crew at Vocal Media, our showrunner, Tony Fay, And until next time, thanks for listening, everybody.